The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Benfica Nation, welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. This is episode 158, and we are getting closer and closer to the biggest match of the season. Um, but then again, each match is the biggest match of the season. I said that in the last episode, and Benfica with a very, very crucial three points this past weekend at Vila do Conde against Riuav. Setting up a much more comfortable situation for this Friday's Clásico against Porto. But uh, before we get to that, we're going to start this episode this week with the biggest of news. At least for me, this is the biggest news that has happened in the past week or so in Benfica Nation. We had a lot of news. I mean, this weekend was just a dominant weekend for Benfica on all fronts. The women's team won the League Cup. Men's and women's futsal both won the Portuguese Cup this weekend. Basketball crushed Sporting. And it was just it was just a weekend of absolute Benfiquismo. Of course, the men's football team capping it off on Sunday with three points in Vila do Conde. But before that, the big news is this. Let's hear from Roger Schmidt here. Uh, this was reported last Friday. It means to you this... Um contract extension till uh, 2026. Yeah, this is a great honor to be part of uh, Benfica and uh, to be honest I um, didn't expect at the beginning that I was signed so early a longer contract but uh, I do it um, with 100% conviction so I feel at the very uh, right uh, place and I appreciate um, yeah, the, the belief in me of, of um, Benfica especially of our president of Rui Costa and Lorenzo Coelho, but also of the whole board, uh, board members. And um, yeah, like I already said a few times, I'm, I'm very happy uh, here at Benfica, and um, I think we have a great 
great team. Um, the fans are fantastic, the Benfica, and um, I think um, the upcoming years we can we can play good football, and uh, of course we go for for prizes, and uh, so that's a big motivation uh, for me, and uh, so it was for me a clear decision also to stay longer here at Benfica. So there you have Roger Schmidt talking to BTV last Friday. Roger Schmidt has renewed his contract. Roger Schmidt will be staying at Benfica. I know a lot of people don't don't uh, believe that he's going to see out this contract. I got a lot of feedback on that when I tweeted it originally that he's still going to leave this year, especially if Benfica, you know, continue to progress in the Champions League. And um, well, I, I actually think that Ro- Roger Schmidt is a very well thought manager okay and uh roger schmidt is not just chasing money roger schmidt i think throughout his career has been searching for the right project for the right fit and i think he's found it here at benfica to be honest with you and thus you heard him there saying he never expected to uh accept a renewal so quickly and if you look at his his uh career he, if he sees out this contract all the way to 2026, 20, Benfica will have, be his longest tenure of his career. And I think that he's someone who now who has had experience in different places. And I think him being a, a bit older and a bit more experienced than some of the other, you know, managers that uh, are rising, some of the managers that are, you know, out there. You know, when you compare him to just in our league alone, just compare him to a Ruben Amorim or a, you know, a few years ago, compare him to Bruno Lage, which I've seen a lot of our rivals fans say he's Bruno Lage 2.0 and it's all going to come undone next year. But if you look at the differences between Roger Schmidt and Bruno Lage, for example, Bruno Lage was in his first job, his first senior job. Bruno Lage um, kind of got, I think the short end of the stick of clearly the locker room was lost there in that time but he also was dealing with a president that was not very football minded okay and you come back and a lot of the problem a lot of the problems with, that Bruno Lage had to deal with was starting with signings that didn't make as much sense uh being introduced into the team and and kind of imbalancing the locker room and then you think about the champions league and how he was so handicapped and uh he was basically you know told to play a youth team in the champions league group stage because our former president saw it as a shop window to sell players and um this these are not things that 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 Roger Schmidt is dealing with right now Roger Schmidt has Rui Costa in his corner Rui Costa is a football man for you know again whether you like him or not, you 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 cannot deny Rui Costa is a Benfiquista through and through, and he is a football man through and through, and he makes his decisions based on the good of the football club, um, or the sporting the sports club, if you will, because he's made decisions in in other areas as well in other sports. Uh, I th- I think that Roger Schmidt recognizes he's got something special here, and I think by by securing this this signature for this renewal so early, Befica have accomplished a couple of things. First of all, what I'm most grateful for is that this was done before Graham Potter was, was sacked at Chelsea this past weekend because uh, I, I, I'm i telling you that if this hadn't happened and if his clause, I believe Roger Schmidt's exit clause tripled, I heard. Um, I, I don't have sources. I don't have... Um, 
anything concrete to back that up, but that is what I heard in passing, and I don't remember who said it, but I heard that that his exit clause will triple, and um, you know. It, it had that not happened, you know Chelsea would be knocking at our door again. Todd Bowley would be coming here again, throwing all kinds of money in front of a a manager uh, in a way to try to to persuade him to to head over to Stanford Bridge next year. And Todd Bowley may very well still try to do that, but now with this contract in in place, I'm confident that if Roger Schmidt leaves, the club is going to be very very well compensated for it. Although, if you really ask me to be truthful and be honest with you, I don't know if the, you can put a monetary price on the importance of Roger Schmidt to this team, what, what it's been this season. And uh, just think for a moment, okay? And I've heard I've heard some, some valid criticisms of the timing of this deal. And those criticisms are valid, but at the same time, it is something that needed to be done, okay? Because, well... One thing in Huikosha being a football man understands is that the the marquee jobs are about to open up. And I just and it did within, you know, a day or two. We saw Ulian Nagelsman become available. Okay, we saw we saw Graham Potter get sacked. Ultimately I think Nagelsman is the guy that's gonna go to Chelsea. But perhaps, you know, Chelsea have other ideas. And we're gonna see more good jobs become available, whether it's Tottenham. Uh, Antonio Conte has been sacked. Tottenham, you know, have had interest in Roger Schmidt in the past. It's been, it was well reported a few months ago that they were eyeing him in the event that, that Conte didn't renew, right? I think you could see openings in, in the Bundesliga always, there's always an opportunity for openings as well. Uh, you never know what job is going to become available. And Roger Schmidt being German, I think, is a good fit for any Bundesliga team. So I think Befica protected themselves from that by getting this deal done now. And I know that the principal idea is that a manager should reach his objectives, <laughs> complete his objectives, before you renew the contract and, you know, you reward him. But to be honest, I think if you look at this with a full view, okay, and you look at this with clear eyes you can see that you can see that it's going to it would be hard to keep him i mean i didn't think we were going to keep him past this contract because his his stock has just risen and you know he he has done unexpectedly well this season managing this team that goes without saying and if he had another season next year like this one okay uh, you risk losing him for nothing, and that's why a, a a renewal had to be put on the table. And I think this was something that Huikosh uh, and his board decided they wanted to get done during this international break. I really think that this was one of their big goals. And what that does is, to the players in doubt, okay, it's one more assurance that if they re-sign and they come back here, that we can do something special again next season, okay? To the young players, the Chernadors of the world, okay? And the Martinez, you know, uh, I'm not really going to group Diego Moreira in this in this group because I think he's he's set on his on leaving. But, you know, to the young players coming through, the 
fact that Roger Schmidt is going to continue to be the manager, the fact that you know you're going to get your opportunity if you do your job, I think this is this is a very very important to the long term um, the long term future of, of the club, uh, especially through 2026. Even if he doesn't stay through 2026, I think his ideas and his model will stay through 2026. And it, again, if he does go, I think we're going to be very very well compensated. And Rui Costa has has proven now that he is very, very capable of selecting a proper manager for this club. And he did a great job bringing this guy in. And, and I just can't help but to think back to this time last year, well, about 15 months ago, 14 months ago, when J.J. parted ways and we opted to let Nelson Verissimo finish the season. And every Benfica out there, 99% said, uh, we're giving up on the season. We're giving up on the season. And I said on this microphone, on this show, I said that it was, mo- it was, very, it was more important to get the right manager in for the long term than it was to make some kind of hire uh, to, to go after to try to get back a title last season. I said that the right manager is out there and he needed to be found. And Rikosha, in the end, I think, had his man. And he, he spotted the correct man to come into this position and to take over this this project and to really bring it back to where it was pre-JJ. Okay, Because if you think back, when JJ was he came in, we abandoned everything that we were doing right under you know under Lige um, in terms of bringing players through the, the, the system bringing him into the first team, building a cohesive unit. We went back to JJ's style of just getting players at, at high prices and just bringing them in and thinking it was all going to go together nicely, and, and none of it did. Everything came apart. So I think the fact that we found found uh, Roger Schmidt and now that we're going to be holding on to Roger Schmidt, I think helps Benfica keep that identity going forward. Now, no, no one knows what's going to happen, but this is a nice insurance policy. If someone does come in and snatch him away, uh, this is a this, the club is protected, and the club will be, you know, they will be compensated appropriately. And I'm very, very excited to keep Roger Schmidt for, you know, the foreseeable future. And I think that we have a chance here to really, first of all, we have a special season going on right now. We have so much ahead of us. And I think that uh, knowing that the manager is staying, knowing that uh, we're going to be able to reinforce positions next season with the manager staying, I think we're going to be able to attract more players or a, a we'll be able to attract a higher caliber of player, I believe. Um, it won't be as hard to convince people to believe in Benfica. What we've done this year in the Champions League is we have demonstrated to all of Europe our quality. Okay. And for players who are, you know, trying to make a name for themselves, that we are that option, okay? As much as, you know, it really was a detriment in a sense, the way that Enzo you literally he told us what he was going to do, and he did what he said he was going to do. And I think when history looks back, when I look back at this with, with uh, 
2020 vision, I'll probably be less emotional about it because he did tell us what he was going to do, and he just did it faster than anyone expected. He used Benfica as that trampoline faster than anyone expected. And while I don't necessarily want that kind of player again, okay, I want... I do want that type of hunger in a player again. I want a player that does want to play and show himself at the top level. And not just a player looking for a big paycheck. So I think you know keeping the manager shows just how dedicated this club is to its football success for the foreseeable future. You have to give the manager credit for a couple more things too. When the season was starting off, he faced a lot of doubts and a lot of critics from a lot of the non-believers out there, okay? A lot of people who were used to the George Jesus mentality, who were used to having to buy players and go to the market and having to bring in what what we say in Portuguese, um jogador a Benfica, what we think is um jogador a Benfica, right? How much, how much criticism was thrown at, at, at the club when we entered the season with Florentine Luiz in our starting lineup? When we decided we were going to go with Gonzalo Ramos as our striker, with Joel Mario in our midfield. Listen, the, no one needs to be ashamed because so many of y'all were saying this. It was being said all over that we couldn't win. How could we expect to compete in Europe and win a league with Gonzalo Ramos, Joel Mario, Florentino in our lineup? We wanted a made man as a striker. Well, we have a manager who knows how to make men, if you will. Today, Gonzalo Ramos is a made man. He's not even near the finished product yet. But he le- he is joint top scorer with another guy that most people thought wasn't good enough to be here. Okay? They're both joint top scorers. We lost Enzo and we gained Chiquinho, who was basically... Everybody had written him off. The jokes were just... You know, coming in from everyone and anyone. They were just dumping on this guy. Okay, everybody everybody was, was getting a cheap laugh out of the Chiquinho joke, okay? It, it happened in, in Tel Aviv, okay, in Haifa, excuse me, against Maccabi Haifa when he had to come in. Everyone said, I thought we're trying to win the group. What are we doing with Chiquinho? Yeah, Chiquinho has continued to raise his game and... The truth is, this manager knows talent better than we do. He knows how to go to the training pitch every day and assess what he has in front of him. And he has built this team to what it is. First and foremost, it is a team. It is a cohesive, united team. Everywhere that we've said we needed a reinforcement, where we needed to replace the player, including in goalkeeper, Roger Schmidt has stuck with the guys we have. We have the best defense in the league. We have the best attack in the league. We're a week from playing a quarterfinal in the UEFA Champions League against an opponent that we can beat. Okay, we're not up against the same kind of Titan we've been up against in the past. We've got, you know... A plethora of clean sheets this year. For all of the shortcomings that the goalkeeper may have, he's keeping the ball out of the goal, which is still his first job. We're playing an intense style of football. We're playing a high-pressing style of football. Our players, by and large, are fit and are not dying on the pitch. Okay, 
Roger Schmidt has taken virtually the same exact players that we had a year ago that we thought was nowhere near good enough. I said it too. I said we weren't good enough. When I, you know, when we talked about last year, we just fell short. We we sold Darwin last year. And in the end, I think hindsight being 2020, a great replace, bringing in Nedish, which wasn't necessarily a direct replacement, kind of became a better piece in the puzzle for us. And I, it just, you know, we, we gained a defender from the academy. We brought in Antonio Silva. Nobody, nobody saw that coming at the beginning of the season. We all expected him to go back to the B team, right? We all thought he was going to go back to the B team. He <laughs> took, he grabbed a hold of his spot and he didn't give it back. This team has, has just risen to the occasion. Every player playing to the maximum of his abilities. And that's because of the manager. So... I've gone on a little bit about this, but this is very important. I'm very, very happy to see Roger Schmidt sticking around. Um, I believe he's going to be here. Um, I'm sure there are jobs that could sway him away. Um, There are projects that could sway him away. But if that happens, one, he's going to leave in a very dignified way. Two, we're going to be well compensated, okay? I, I'm just ecstatic, and this is out of the way going into these big matches that we have now. We got, as you know, we got the Classico on Friday, and then we got Inter on Tuesday, and all of that's put out of the way. It's one less thing also that the press can try to throw shade on us for, because without this renewal, you know, Unoju, Ujogu, whatever you want to call it, record, we're going to start to come in and say, Tottenham's linked with Roger Schmidt. Chelsea's linked with Roger Schmidt. Just continuing to try to throw that instability and trying to cause division in our locker room as they've tried to do all season. And once again, Benfica have been ahead of the press this year. They've been ahead of it. And, you know, again, uh, today there's a tweet coming out from that no good Pedro Sepulveda about Grimaldo hasn't... (laughs) He tweets that Grimaldo has already decided he's not renewing, and he hasn't told Benfica, but he's told, I guess, he told Pedro Sepulveda. Good for you, okay? Listen, if Grimaldo has been a great servant to this club, he has been here a long time and has earned the right to leave if he wants to leave. He's also been a phenomenal professional off season, and if he plans to leave, it's not affecting his play on the pitch nor his, his responsibility to this team at this time. It's just another it's just another Porto mole because that's what Sepulveda is. Okay, it's just another ally st- just trying to start something to to disrupt this Benfica machine. And you know what? It's not going to happen. This team is focused. This team is on the precipice now of doing something something extraordinary. And all of their efforts are just not, they're falling flat. All of their efforts to try to destabilize this team and trying to rock this boat are falling flat. And this is just another one. And we've taken one less away from them now that the manager has been renewed. Whatever happened, whatever will happen with Grimaldo, I have full confidence in this manager and in this president to find a suitable replacement. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Rio Ave match. All right. And uh, we'll we'll go from there. We got a lot to talk about in this episode. We got women's football as well, winning the League Cup this weekend in Avedo. Another big crowd, almost ten thousand in the house in the Avedo Municipal Stadium. 
that means that would have ranked like the third highest attendance in the Liga Portugal last weekend. So it, that attendance outdid almost every single match in the Portuguese league last weekend. So uh, we will talk about that shortly. And also I'll try to touch on futsal because we did we did take home two cups, one in men's, one in women's futsal this week. And also just a few quick uh, thoughts on the basketball team dunking on Sporting and beating them, taking back first place for the time being as um, – you know, they, they continue to find their strides. We push towards the playoffs. All right, this is Mr. Benfica. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Follow the show on Twitter at Benfica Mr. And also follow on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. I'll be right back with uh, some recap of Benfica's win at Riwav this past Sunday. Welcome back to episode 158 of Mr. Benfica. Before we move any forward, a quick little shameless self-cross promotion um, for you. Uh, be sure the new episode of, of Parking the Bus is out. I put it out last night. I was up pretty late recording that. So uh, please, if you're interested, head on over to the Parking the Bus uh, podcast feed and download the latest episode. I cover the women's uh, Champions League quarterfinals as well as MLS action, Liga MX action, and you know all of the major uh, European leagues as well as a few other things. And I rant a little bit as as I like to do. And there's some news items in there. If if anyone's interested, I do appreciate the support. If you have a minute to just give it a to just give it a download, put it through your player. You don't even have to listen to it. Just fast forward to the end and give me that listen. Uh, shameless self-cross promotion, like I said there, trying to plug some of my other projects. But let's get into this one. It's round 26 of the Liga Portugal B-Win. We're at the so-called Stadio dos Arcos. It, it's hard to call it a stadium, a stadio at this point. It's it's a stand. We're at the stand dos Arcos, if you want to be more fair. And... Um, I know I've been hammering this home lately for for a while now. I get it, and it's probably getting old to some people. I know not everybody cares, but this is something that just gets on my nerves. Um, 
and it's 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 further agitated by by again the the seemingly inevitable future of centralized television rights and you see you saw in this match what what was that production worth on television who is going to pay to watch a match at a facility like this you they don't have any cameras on the crowd you don't even know that people are there it looks like a training match you got mounds of dirt around the pitch it's an embarrassment to the league and then we're going to be funding these teams and giving them money why so they can continue to not work on their stadium so they can keep one stand open because nobody goes to watch them play and to be fair i feel the same way about matches at the seychelles okay one uh one you have to make tickets available but but in regard to the production of the match and the way it looks on television i don't like when we see the b team or the women's team playing at the seychelles either the camera is always on the same side as the as the supporters always on the same side of the, as the fans the stand behind the goal is always empty and we're always looking at a construction fence with advertisements on it okay so to be fair and i will be fair about this i feel the same way about playing matches at the seychelles how hard is it to put some type of structure on the other side, behind the fence, whatever. Put a, some cameras there so at least we're looking at a match with people in the stands. This is basic television 101. This is basic production. Anybody, uh, when I used to shoot high school games, when I was a student, and I used to go cover m- games, whether it was it was football or it was field hockey or I used to cover it all. Baseball. It didn't matter. I looked for a place to put the camera where I could see fans. It's not It's not rocket science. It is not rocket science. Especially for a produ- professional production with multi-cameras. How after two years of that stand being knocked down and that capacity being reduced to a pitiful, pitiful mark of the exact... Uh, I'll give you the exact total... Um, the total capacity, okay? Um, this one was a full house, and it was 4,134. Less than 5,000 s- seats at sh- the Stadio du Zarkuj, as they call it. It's hard to call it that when it is uh, hardly a stadium. It's more of a single stand. Um, not to mention, and it's made its way around the social media too, the little... Solverd Lounge there in the southeast corner of of the stadium. I actually went on to Google Maps, figured out which side of the 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 which side the stand was on. It's on the west side of the pitch. Okay, so the stand is on the west side, and then to the southeast in the far corner, there's a a stage with sofas and with lounge chairs where Solverd puts. I apparently, according to the Fever Pitch podcast, according to João Gonçalves. Those were YouTubers and influencers that, that Solverd uh, gave that location to. What the hell is this? This is football without supporters. This is unacceptable for a first division in Europe that, again, wants to call itself a top six, which I think is laughable. That What you saw on your television on Sunday is a third world football facility. It's pathetic, it's embarrassing, and to be honest, you know, the league should have more more 
requirements than just on the pitch to be in the first division. I don't understand why is Kazapia unable to play at Panumanique when Khiwav can play in, in, in that location, in Stadio dos Arcos. How bad must must uh, Pinumanique be for Kazapia to not be able to play their matches there when Hiuav can play in this sorry excuse for a stadium. And again, you're going to put that on television and then you want to centralize television rights and sell that. Sell that to who? Who is going to watch football there if it's not Benfica Porto or Sporting or Braga going in there or Vitoria Guimarães, one of those five? Who is going to watch that other than the fans of the visiting team? The league has a real problem here. Let's before we get into this, look at um, the attendance for this match. Like I said, it was a full house of four thousand one hundred thirty-four, double the normal capacity for the average capacity, the average crowd for Riuav. Okay, this is a real problem. The these stadiums are not professional level. In fact, it made its way around the world on Twitter. And let's see if I can even, I can might be able to even find the tweet that someone said they watched the game in England. Um, they watched the game in England on BT Sport. And I'm going to try to to, to uh, repeat what was said. It was quite funny um, what the commentator on BT Sport said about this stadium. And I'm quickly searching for this tweet. I think I have it here. And um, it was just an absolute joke. Uh, they called it a peculiar stadium, I believe, was what they called it. But, um, again, it was it was retweeted by a lot of people. But just they said it was the most – oh, where is it? Here it is. It's from Roger Mateusz, okay? Uh, he, he tweeted – I'm watching the game on BT Sports. And then he goes on to say, One of the most unconventional stadium we ever saw in a professional league. This is the image. The Liga Portugal is transmitting to the rest of Europe and to the rest of the world. This is what we call Portuguese football. And then we want to come and complain that our teams are getting passed by the Dutch in the coefficient rating. Right now, we have Aroca sitting in a Europa Conference League spot for next season. And wait till that happens because Aroca has a stadium capacity of 1,048. And they have an average, sorry, 1,666, okay? They have literally no fans. I'm all for small clubs, but then again... They're going to go to Europa League, Europa Conference League and do what? They're going to lose half their, their squad this, this summer. The coach is probably going to leave because he knows that he can't handle going to even to a round or two of knockout play, preliminary knockout stages in Europe. They're not going to be able to play in their home in their home stadium because there's no way that is up to FIFA, to excuse me, to UEFA regulations. They're going to have to go play probably in Aveiro where our women played this weekend and there'll be 10 people there and the fans of the of the other the supporters of of their visitors if you're a fan of this league and you care about the portugal you know the portuguese league's coefficient you need to be rooting wholeheartedly the rest of the season for vitoria guimarães to get that spot over aroca okay 
Now, there's still an additional spot that's probably going to go to whichever one finishes in sixth. And Casapia is on the edge of that, too. And and I actually want to see a good Casapia. I feel for the, this is a historic club. But Casapia is moving next season. They're playing in another temporary home next season. And they're playing at the Gestil. And they're going to go into Europa Conference League if, if Roca doesn't. I mean, it's not looking good for that sixth spot. And it is the last season we will have a sixth team playing in Europe. And um, it does not look good. And I can't, I can't understand, you know, the, the fan base, you know, critiquing the French league when, when our league looks like this. And our league has these type of attendance numbers. First of all, Santa Clara, last home match, 912. Yeah, they're getting relegated. They don't even believe in themselves. But 912. I'm gonna get off this topic for now. We'll go over we'll go over attendances at the end when we talk about the other games. But the point is, this stadium that this match was played in is an absolute disgrace to football. It's, a, it's an embarrassment to Portuguese football, and they shouldn't be playing there. If if Casapia has to go play at the Jamor, play at the Hestil, why is Hiwav allowed to play in this in this stadium? There's, they shouldn't be allowed to play there. End of story. Fix it or, or rent somebody else's pitch. Or go where you belong in the Liga Trish. If that's the best facilities you have, demote yourself. Do like other teams have done. Restart in the lower level. Vitoria Stubal, with much better infrastructure, had to go down to the Liga Trish for financial irregularities. And apparently right now, Hiwav doesn't have that problem. So we can you know give them credit for that. But... From a, from a standpoint of facilities, they don't have first division facilities. And they should not be allowed to play in these ma- in these stadiums. A, a crowd of 4,105. 5% is all they have to give Benfica. What does that come down to? I mean, that is that is not acceptable. For a league that, that thinks that it is among Europe's elite. No, you have a couple teams in this league that punch above their weight, like I said. And that overinflate the league's coefficient rating. Okay, let's get into the teams now, okay? Um, with that said, let's uh, let's start with Roger Roger Schmidt's post-game uh, comments. So let's start with there, and we'll, we'll work from there backwards, okay? Let's hear from the manager. He said this after the match. Good evening, Mr. Roger Schmidt. Uh, what is your opinion about this match? I think it was a difficult match. Um, we knew before that Rio Ave is a good team, especially at home. Um, after national team break, of course, um, you lose always a little bit uh, rhythm. And we saw it also today. Not all the players were on their top level, but that's something we expected. Um, but at the end, big compliment for the team because um, you always get different tasks to, to win football games, especially away games. and. Today the task was um, to to score and then to to defend in a good way. So we knew also that they will try everything with long balls, with set pieces, and I think the team did it well. So I think they had not um, a lot of chances to score. We could do it a little bit easier. I think in the first half we had a lot of very good uh, ball wins, a lot of very good transition moments. In the last weeks we, we used these moments in a very good way to score goals. Today we missed a little bit the last ball, the last uh, touch um, to use them better, uh, to influence the game in a, in a positive way. But 
at the end, I think we scored after halftime and then we had to fight and we did it very well. So compliment for the team. And you heard there from the manager, Roger Schmidt, in the post-game presser. And you get the sense, listening to him, that it was a matter of mission accomplished. And without a doubt, it was mission accomplished. Going into this match, there was one thing that needed to happen, and it happened. Okay, it's This is not a match where you worry about style points. This is not a match where you worry about... A, about things like you know pass efficiency and your this is a match that you just go into this is a tough place to play um now that i have hammered this stadium you know for all of the things that uh it it is not what it is is a tough place for Benfica to play historically and in the past when we've gone there in seasons like this with so much on the line we have gone there and had enormous support Riwav managed to make that impossible this time. Okay, so this was a true away game, which is rare. Um, but there were some Befica fans, you know, a very small uh, number of fans who were able to secure tickets inside of the ground. Okay, and uh, Befica had to do this. I mean, you still, the whole match, all you heard was Benfica fans. So shout out to all of you that managed to get in there, that managed to land a ticket. And uh, you, you sang triple two two you know small in numbers but you guys sang triple in order to be heard we could hear it on tv the whole the whole time and um coming back off an international break this has always been Benfica's achilles heel and i've always come every single i don't remember ever coming back from an international break doing this podcast and saying man we really we really came flying out of the gates coming back from the international break. No, we always come back uh, a little bit disconnected, uh, rhythms lost, and especially in the in the football that we play this season under this manager, it's so important to keep the rhythm. It's so important to keep um, to just keep the flow going, keep players familiar, uh, keep that muscle memory clicking, and that's why you see Roger Schmidt substitute less frequently than than other managers okay this is why you see him sometimes hang on and not even use all five substitutions which i'm a huge fan of i don't know how many times i sat here criticizing jj in the past season you know past season and a half whatever he was here for feeling like he was making five subs just because he could and it was making unnecessary changes and we don't get that from Roger Schmidt every substitution is purposeful and it makes a change I know some people still want to see changes for the sake of changes because we're used to that as fans but I think um, this one you know was was managed very well by the manager he took a big risk here and um, we're going to get to the lineup in just a minute. But the big talking point, and I said, I said this in the last episode. I thought Florentino was going to start. I had this. I had the the notion that Florentino was going to start in this match because I think uh, Roger Schmidt is not the kind of manager that worries about that. And I think that he thinks, and I totally believe this, that this match against Kiwav was more important than the upcoming match with Football Club do Porto in in the grand scheme of things. And I, I sit here now on the other side of this match with the three points saying, yeah, I think it was more important because now this match, this coming Friday, is completely under less pressure. The The reality is, guys, that 
I don't mind saying this at this point. I'm not a believer in jinxes. I'm not a believer in curses. I don't believe in the curse of Bella Gluthman. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I think there's a perfectly good explanation for every final Benfica has lost because every single final Benfica has played, including the two they won in Europe, they were heavy underdogs. But I think that on this past Sunday, to me, Benfica clinched the title. Uh, in Vila do Conte, in my opinion. I think that game was was the dagger. I think that game was the nail in the coffin. Porto can come back now, and they're going to, listen, they're going to come into the luge on Friday, and they are going to die on that pitch to, to avoid defeat and to do their club and their supporters proud. I'm not putting that in question at all, but we're sitting here now. Eight matches remaining, okay? Eight matches remain. A 10-point lead. We got. We did what we had to do, which was to go into this match with the 10-point lead. Even under the worst circumstances, the mathematical probabilities of Benfica letting this one slip now are, are very small. Okay, They're very, very small. I'm not saying that anything is accomplished yet, but I trust this team that even... If the worst possible thing happens this Friday, this team does not get affected the same way that it has in the past. Under this manager, this team does not implode. We've seen them come back from difficulties now more than once this season. We saw a loss at Braga back in December that everyone thought was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the undoing, and Bifika just took it as one game. And in the next game, they came out and they went back to work. And we saw... You know, a draw with Sporting. Benfica comes back in the next game and just goes back to their winning ways. We have won every league match since, okay? Here in the second half of the league. Um, or I should say, not in the second half of the Yes, in the second half of the league, we are unbeaten right now. We are unbeaten in the second half of the league. But all of the points we dropped were in the first half of the season, okay? In this second half right now. From round 18 on, it is all wins. We This match here at Riuav was our 10th straight win. And it's it's I'm not concerned with the mentality of this team or the mental strength of this team or the the focus in this team for these final these final eight matches. I said this last week that it was not a it was not nine finals. It was simply Two finals, okay? We got one out of the way. We got another one on Friday. But really, we go into this final ahead, basically, okay? And I think at the Luge, at home, with the support we're going to have, okay, Benfica's going to enter this match winning 1-0 mentally, okay? Porto is up against it. I don't believe that that team believes in themselves at this point. I don't believe that their fans deep down believe they're going to come back and win this league. I think for them now it's about beating us in this match and going on to win the cup. That's where their focus is at right now. That's what the, what they believe in. That's what their manager is 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 showing in his in his body language and his actions. They're saying all the right things, but they don't believe them anymore. You can see it. Um, no, I don't want to let them come back in, obviously. I don't want this to get down to seven points and then have a slip up and it all of a sudden is five going into the last five matches. That's not what I want to see either. But I really believe that if you look at the championship as, you know, uh, your phone when you charge it in and it's and it's loading or charging, uh, it's 80% of the way there now. And I think if we win on Friday, it's, it's 99%. It's 95%, 99% uh, complete at that point. 
And I think everyone would agree at that point. I think if three points come our way on Friday, that I don't think anyone's going to be going to be holding back on the celebrations at that point. But really, this Hiwav match for me was the most important match of the season, and I'm going to stick to that. Even even after this upcoming match on Friday, I'm still going to come on this microphone and if asked, this the most important match of this season at this point is this Hiwav match because this puts us. Um, further away from them. This uh, puts us in a much more comfortable position. And really, we're we're forcing them to make the first move in this match on Friday. Okay, And I going back to my original point was I thought that Florentino was going to play because of this. Now, I think what happened, my sense is that Roger Schmidt was talked out of starting Florentino in this match because Florentino is an undisputed, un, you know, unquestioned starter under Roger Schmidt since he's been here. Okay, he trusts this player and he said in the pregame on 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 Saturday uh before before this match, you know, before traveling up north, he said that he trusts Florentino that he's an intelligent player that he can play a match without getting a yellow card. I think honestly Harvey Garcia has a lot to do with uh, talking to to Roger and convincing him that it wasn't the best move to to start Florentino. And here's why I think, you know, after watching the match and you know, having been in discussions like this in a in a coaching staff where you go into a match right before a very important match and you wanna in someone's on a you know on a yellow card that that will see them suspended for the following match. And I've been in meetings where we've told guys to pick up that that yellow so that they sit out, you know, the suspension before the match that you know is our target. And I've been in the match where in the meeting, you know, prior to in the week leading up to the match and then on match day with with the different managers I worked with and we talked about, you know, the the risk and the reward. I think what what it ended up being the decision is that keeping Florentino on the bench, but keeping him ready to go in because he warmed up and you saw him warming up at halftime and you saw him get up, I think once, even in the first half to warm up. It was that Roger was not going to lose this match if he could avoid it, obviously. And um, I think if you had to choose between winning and Florentino picking up a picking up a yellow or dropping points in Florentino being available at this stage in the league at this stage this close to the finish line you take the 3 points because once you have the 3 points you have them okay if you don't get the points you have to go get them somewhere else right so i think the 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 decision that was made was it was a calculated one and i think it was that you know florentino would play less than the full match reducing the probability that he picks up that yellow card but if he could get a lead and then you know we saw in my opinion we saw in these what was it 70 minutes that he did not play why florentino plays all the time why he's undisputed and unquestioned a starter in this team. He came on in the 71st. So for 71 minutes, okay, we were the better side. We were creating chances, and if we had been efficient as we had been in previous matches, this game, he doesn't even need to come in in this match. This match is a is a cakewalk. Unfortunately, 
you know, the efficiency wasn't there in the final third in front of goal. We didn't get, you know, between our normal goal scores, we didn't get good, good opportunity. We had good opportunities, but we didn't get good clinical finishing out of them. Gonzalo scores the goal, but has has a very tough match. He doesn't get much uh, accomplished, but that's what I like about a good striker is he only needs, you know, that half chance. When it comes down, he finds it. And, you know, if you watch Gonzalo in this match, he, he was um, losing balls. He was not getting into the right spaces. And when he was getting into the right spaces, the ball was coming off of his foot. The ball was not being hit cleanly. Uh, he gave the ball away a few times. Joel Mario, not himself either. You know, both of them were at the national team. I think they lost a little bit of their rhythm um, going through different routines and playing with different players. And I think Auschwitz came back. He played well. I mean, he doesn't play poor. He only knows how to play well. He plays well and very well. But this was more to the well side than to the very well. And I think it was it was you know a bit of fatigue because he was used quite a bit by Norway in the international break, and you know Rafa was not himself either. I think he he lost some of that synchronization he had with his teammates, and I think Benfica are going to work this week and have been working this week to get that back. Um, Porto are in the same boat too going into Friday's match. They did not look good at all against Portimonense. They haven't looked good at all for weeks. And I think that, I, I, you know, when it comes to Friday, it's just going to be on the day. And we have more quality than them. So I'm confident in our team. But um, the, there were just things that, that were not coming off well. It looked like a team that had stopped playing for two weeks. Uh, some guys ha- had a break. And that's a good thing because now we're, we're making that final sprint to the finish line. If you look at this like a race, okay, uh, we're at the final lap. And <laughs> now this is the final lap here. It is it is April and May, okay? There are eight matches to go, and there are two very important Champions League ties coming up in short term, right, in short order. And, um, you know, it's time to pick up the pace. We're not at the final sprint yet. We're not, you know, we haven't turned the final corner, and we're not on that final straightaway yet. But we have gone into our final, the bell lap has rung. And we're turning, we're going into that first turn uh, in the lead, okay, in the lead. And we're just, it's up to us now to just run our race and get there first. Um, I think that the decision here in the end was obviously it worked out. And it was a little bit risky, but I think it was a very calculated risk. And I think in the end, the coaching staff got this one right. Uh, We got the best of both. Tino didn't pick up the card, and we got the three points. So uh, with that said let's go to the lineup i know it's been a long episode already and i'm just getting into the match now but the lineup starting for riuav their manager luis frier sends out a 3-4-3 jonathan is the goalkeeper the brazilian goalkeeper in the back they've their three center back should say their three man center back line the right center back is renato pantalon the Croatian, um, partnering with the Brazilian Adelan Santos and another Brazilian Patrick as the back three. The wingbacks, Costinha down the right and uh, Fabio Ronaldo down the left. And the double pivot, it's two guys we know well. Two guys, you know, who wore our colors. One as a senior, the other as a as a youth player and as a B player. It's it's our one of our favorites. I think for me, one of my favorite Benfica players of all time. A guy that um, I thought you know 
was going to go on to. I I actually I I'm going to be honest. This guy I hope is someday Benfica's manager. I'm talking about Andreas Samadis. This is this is a guy that for me you know is is I'm making a heart with my hands as I talk about this. Um, and you know I'm not the only one. You can judge by the warm reception and the warm uh, ovation he got both this week in at in Vila do Conde and in the first half of the season. When he came off at the Stade de Luge, he partners with Guga. Guga was was the topic of a lot of conversation leading up to this match during the international break. Okay, a Benfica youth product, and of course, going into a match with us, he starts getting rumored to be on his way to a certain blue and white prison stripe team up there in the north. And I don't know that these these rumors had any substance at all because as soon as the game was over, we stopped hearing about Guga. And I really, this is. Very irresponsible uh, journalism, yellow journalism, I'm going to call it from the northern, you know, the not the northern, but the the blue press from Unoju, as I call it, um, and the others that pick it up, the Pedro Sepulvedas of the world. Again, I that guy is 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 just, uh, you know, he's just. I don't want to call him what I was going to call him, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but he, you know. You're messing with a player's mind and emotion. This player's trying to make it. You start, you start, you know, attaching him to this team. And if he starts to believe it, you know, you're setting him up for failure, first of all. It, it's not an ethical thing to do just to try to inspire somebody to play well against Benfica or to try to get Benfica, like, somehow worried, oh, this guy's going to... They did this with Ostakio too, when Ostakio was at Passos Ferreira, remember? And they, he got himself sent off. The only two times that 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 Stefan Ostakio has been sent off in his career have been against Benfica. And if you don't know, now you know he grew up a Benfica. Okay, I got word. I got word from from the you know the boys up there in Ontario that know the family. The Ostakios are Benficistas, you know, um, and. You know, but they got him up to this level to play against Benfica. Oh, and he does end up getting the move to Porto. But you know, you get you get a guy up so nervous, and he ends up making stupid mistakes because the press sometimes are making untrue rumor, just making rumors up from thin air. Um, and a lot of this comes from the the communications department at that club. Okay, and then the guy who has blocked most of us on social media, Jota Marks. I'm proud to be blocked by him. Uh, <laughs> but he, you know, his team, his communications, his propaganda team gets these things out there. These players get inspired to play against us. Who knows? There's probably a Malita in the in the locker room. And these guys, you know, go out there and try to try to look good for our rivals and maybe earn themselves a, a some kind of deal, you know, and... For most of the guys that, that get that deal, they, they kind of end up falling off and going back to one of these smaller clubs a, a season or two later, obviously, with more money in their bank account. But, you you know, you look at someone like a Claudio Ramos, who is their goal there. He started this weekend in there for the first time, I think, ever in the league for Porto, who was a top four goalkeeper in this league when he was at Tondela and has sat on the bench, you know, for the past four. Sure, his bank account's bigger now, but he has completely deteriorated as a footballer. He has gone from from being, you know, on the verge of being included in the Portuguese national team to being, you know, 
beating out a whatever they paid for the their other goalkeeper there, Samuel Portugal, who also is a guy who was a nightmare for us, and now he's rotting on their bench. Um, these kinds of deals happen when when players play really well against us. You know, Nakajima's another one that they went to get for, and you know, completely derailed his career for a while. They don't care. And uh, it's all about beating Benfica, and it's all about destabilizing Benfica for them up there and for their allies in the press. And I think Guga played a very good match here, and I thought he was good. But you notice here we are, the object, the objective wasn't achieved. Benfica didn't drop any points, and suddenly, you know, you're not hearing anymore about this interest in Guga from the blue and white prison stripes. All right, <laughs> the front three, now that I talked about, uh, you know, talked about eight of the 11 stars, the front three. Down the right, you have João Graça. Down the the left, you have the Ghanaian Emmanuel Boateng. And the striker is another Portuguese player, André Pereira. So that is your Hiuav side. Benfica coming out in their very normal 4-2-3-1 that they always play. If you watch this, the TV screen said it was a 4-5-1. Again, Great work by Sport TV. You can always count on them to, to be accurate. As you can see, the Benfica's only been playing this system since August. And they still they still put it down as a 4-5-1. Laziness is what it is. Odie gets the start and goal. Ba, Otamendi, Antonio Silva, and Grimaldo across the back. No surprises. Like we said, Florentino dropped for this one. Uh, saved is probably the better term. And we go with the double pivot of Auschwitz and Chiquinho. And... While it was serviceable and while it was proficient enough, you could see that they had they have not played a lot together in in that role in that double pivot role. Um, there was some they're just like everybody else, just a little bit off, and and this this system is so reliant on on players moving and players. Sync, moving in a synchronized way and knowing where each other's going and overlapping and overloading and just, you know, having those synchronies with the ball and just moving it from, from A to B to C and just smoothly moving the ball up the pitch and setting up the chance. You didn't get that this time. The, the, the rhythm wasn't there. But, again, it was still a effective uh, performance from both of them. In front of them, the the midfield, attacking midfield three. Jomariu gets the start in the 10 position. Neresh to his right. Rafa to his left behind the striker. Gonzalo Ramuz. Now, again, I already said the, the match that Gonzalo Ramuz had. It, it was not his best. But, again, it, it was effective. So, the first half, Benfica comes out. And they are, you know, the better side starting off. And at no point really was I worried about this match. This is one thing that it continues with this team is at no point was I really starting to get nervous about this. Even at halftime, down 0-0, or not down, but uh, but level 0-0 at halftime. I think back to our last away match where where uh, I was watching on Goal TV and Nino calling the game for Goal TV in English said that he was given a stat that Benfica had I had been I don't know how many games uh, without scoring a first-half goal on the road. And then as he finished that sentence, Gonzalo scored to, <laughs> to, to break that streak. But I'm reminded of that, and so I'm not even worried that we're going into halftime at nil-nil. And you know with this team, when we go into halftime, Roger says something. He says a few things. He makes a couple adjustments. I think, you know, Javi Garcia and, 
and uh, Jan's Vissling. Uh, we'll we'll talk to the players, and you know they've each got their couple of guys they're looking at. Uh, Javi mo- talks mostly to the the guys that don't speak English, while while you know Jan speaks to the guys that do speak English. They're watching them, and you know they make a few adjustments. They tell them, "Hey, take a look. You know, in that right center channel, that ball is there. You know, uh, Gonzalo's doing X, Y, and Z. It's pulling the two center backs apart, thread it through, whatever. They're telling them that." And they come out in the second half, and usually early in the second half, maybe you can find the back of the goal. And this would be no different right off the start, essentially. Uh, the ball gets worked around a little bit. Um, we nearly connect by playing Rafa in, but Adelan Santos plays it out of play so that Hiwav can reset. But off the throw-in. A couple short passes, and the ball gets played into João Mario. João Mario with a nice play. Again, he was quiet for much of this game, but what's great about the, the way this team is playing right now is that the big players, even in matches where they're not quite at their best, and we've seen Neres do this in the past, and we, we've we seen João Mario, we've seen, we've seen Gonzalo Ramos, we saw Gonzalo Guedes when he was healthy, you know, being able to do this sometimes. We've seen, you know, Auschwitz do this. We've seen everybody pretty much in that attacking line um, have games where it just doesn't go well. But then for one play in one game, it just comes off right. And João Mario here beats his man fairly easily, wins the end line, starts coming in, cuts it back for Gonzalo Ramos, who takes a terrible first touch, and I, he'll be the first to admit it to you. However, his first touch goes right off, goes right into the the path of the defender closing him down, which was Adelan Santos, and Adelan can't get his feet out from under him fast enough, and what I mean by that is he can't turn his foot to actually strike the ball and clear it, so it comes off his shin guard, pops up into the air, and Gonzalo hammers it out of the air without even thinking about it, and this is the sign of a good striker. This is the type of striker that leads you to championships. He doesn't try to bring it down. He'd been trying that all game. He'd been trying to touch the ball, create space for himself. This ball pops up, and muscle memory kicks in. Instinct kicks in for Gonzalo Ramos, and he just hammers it out of the air, puts it in the roof of the goal. 1-0 to Benfica. Explosion in that corner, which, if my math is right, is now the... It's now the northwest corner of the stadium. I'm, I'm picturing it in the Google Maps when I looked at it earlier. The northwest corner of the stadium where Benfica fans are there. Gonzalo doesn't hesitate. He goes running towards the fans. And I got to give him credit because he runs right between two GNR uh, agents. I don't know. They called agents, officers, troopers, whatever they're called in their line of work. The, the Guarda Nacional Republicana, the Republican National Guard, the, the equivalent of the state police or the military police in Portugal, runs right between them, goes right into the fans. The fans mob him. One guy fall, kind of stumbles out of the stand, and now he's on the pitch. And you can see the guard going towards him, and he he sees him coming, and he jumps on he jumps on Gonzalo's back before he gets pulled out of the mob by the GNR uh, agent there, and and told to return to his seat. But it's uh it's just bedlam, and you know what? For everything that didn't go right in this match, for all the plays that might have been broken, for all of the uh, lack of, I think the biggest issue with this match was it was not quick the pace was slow um 
and that comes again from from the routine being being dropped a little bit from the rhythm uh kind of falling out of sync but it requires everything to move just a little bit slower but here as soon as as this ball goes in when we look back at this 2022 23 season what we're going to remember about playing against uh Hiwav is that moment is Gonzalo scoring that goal we're not going to remember the 6 or 7 he didn't he didn't score or the 4 or 5 balls he lost you know in unforced errors we're going to remember the goal he scored that he put in the roof of the net and we're going to remember him jumping into the crowd and celebrating with the fans a moment that that is going to be etched in our memory I know for me that that I I said that as soon as I saw it it was exactly the moment you want to see and it, it, these are the moments when you know it's close. When you can sense it, you can feel the trophy getting closer at this point because you're getting key goals in tough matches. And for everything I criticized about the facility and everything I criticized about the organization of Chihuahua, on the pitch, they're a good football team. Okay, they're a good football team. They, Considering the conditions they're playing in and considering the lack of uh, funding and the lack of just basic things that you can see they don't have. Uh, I think they've put together a good football team. They've already beaten our rivals, and they gave us a test and a half here. And especially at home, they are tough, and Roger Schmidt knows that. He knew that coming in. And here we get the all-important goal. You know in these matches you're going to have to get one somehow. We get it here in the 46th. And Befica know now that... It is, it is a matter of time. They know how to manage a match at this point. We've seen them do it. Okay, We've seen matches where things aren't running as smoothly and the game isn't as pretty and it's not flowing the same way. And this team just finds a way to manage it when that happens. Okay, This is something they've picked up since January, since you know a key player left. Um, but you know what happened in January is we also gained a player. Yes, we lost a world-class midfielder, okay? As much as I poke fun at him, we lost a world-class midfielder. And um, as much as I'm enjoying the failure of Chelsea right now, and as much as I have to believe that in his head he's wondering if he couldn't have just waited till next season to make that move when he sees, you know, how much, how, how successful we have been, um, as much as I say we I call Shikinyu Shikau and he is Shikinyu was a reforzo he was a reinforcement in January okay he was he was not on the radar uh, of this team he was a f- seldomly used substitute and I remember you know reading that that he was frustrated not frustrated he's he just saw that there were too many guys in front of him and he was you know there were talks about him going out on loan to get playing time because he needed to play and then he saw this opportunity, and he said, I'm not letting anyone else have it. And now I'm calling him Shikenzo. I'm calling him Shikane, whatever you want to call him, Shiko. Shikinyu comes in here, and Shikinyu was the best player on the pitch in this match, and I don't, I don't think anyone's doubting it at this point. Uh, he has won over a lot of people. I remember, you know, I remember reading just some nasty things people would say. You, you wouldn't even think he was, he, was a, he was part of our club, the way some people... Attacking him personally, too. Not just, you know, attacking his footballing ability, but attacking him personally. And he's just shut all the haters up. And uh, he's been given this opportunity. He's grabbed a hold of it. And you know what? He's a good player. And I always thought that there was a player in there in him. And, and I remember, you know, I remember 
Bruno Lage calling him Chicão and saying that, that that in there there was a player. There was issues in adjustment and he was being played out of position and he wasn't quite combining well with his teammates. Well, here we are three years later. This guy, he went on loan last year, if my if my memory serves me correct, and, and it didn't go incredibly well. I'm going to pull up his profile right now here. And I'm pretty sure that he went on loan. He went to, oh yeah, so last February he went to Turkey to play for Gussenspor. And at Gussenspor, he played 13 times. He actually had four goals. on. So I shouldn't say that it wasn't a, a good loan. He went to Turkey and... and and he scored four goals last uh, spring while our ship was sinking back here, you know, aside from, from the, you know, memorable run in the Champions League last season. Domestically, our ship was sinking. But um, clearly he refound some of his uh, some of his form there. He also went on loan to Braga um, prior to this. So he spent all of last season on loan. Now, I had not remembered this, to be honest with you. Spent half the season at Braga, made 15 appearances, and then made 13 appearances for Gishinspor in the Turkish League. That's a total of 28 matches last season. He's already played 34 this year. He's got one goal, but he's so comfortable on the ball, and his foot skills are starting to show. that He's got soft feet. The ball dies on his feet. And the biggest difference is, and he said this somewhere, I read that he said this somewhere, and it was just that the manager has instilled this confidence in him and he believes in himself again. And he's showing the quality that originally sparked Benfica to go out and get him in the first place when he was playing at Moreirense. Remember, he was here, he went on loan. I'll, let, me, let me pull up his his uh, history again. Um, yeah, he was with us from... We signed him back in 2018, and he, no, sorry, he, he, yes, we signed him in 2018, and then he went, he went to Morirense, it was not alone, he was in and out right away after having spent uh, the previous season at Academica, and that was on a loan, I think that loan was from, uh, maybe that's, he, we loaned him to Academica, and then he moved on a permanent to Morirense, and one season later, we brought him back. At Morirense, he played in 37 matches and scored nine goals. That was the 2018-19 season where we won the title. We brought him back that next fall, and it started well. And if you remember, he had that that injury. Um, I think it occurred against Porto, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but now he's played 65 games for us, you know, and 34 of those Actually, he's played more than that. He played 65 games for us in his first stint and then spent all of last season on loan, playing 28 matches, like I said, between Braga and, and Gersenspor. And now he's back having played 34 this season. Um, he is approaching. Oh, my goodness. How about that? Friday will be Chiquinho's 100th appearance for Benfica. Um, and that's according to to FOTMOB here. And that that's amazing uh, for a player who's been so heavily criticized and where so much of the fan base says he does he lacks the quality to be in our team. He's about to play his 100th game. Agio Pate with the with the badge on on his chest with the eagle uh, you know over his heart. And um fantastic. He was fantastic in this. I have him up on the on the goal point right now because he was the man of the match in this game with a 7.7 rating. He had two passes that for shots, seven uh, 
progressive forward passes. Um, he had he drew had three progressive drives forward drives. I guess is how progressive is being used here. Uh, he suffered four fouls. He drew four fouls. But my favorite stat here: six uh, defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. This is this is uh, a very good number for him. He's not Florentino. He doesn't play the position the way Florentino does. But between him and Auschwitz, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they did a good job for much of the game. Okay, for for the hour and a little over an hour that they were out there. Mifika does start to lose the midfield here. And that's why Roger says at that point, up 1-0, we can't drop these points now. He And he sends on Florentino. And, you know, the, the three points are more important than avoiding the yellow card at this point. This is at least the way I'm looking at this match. This is, you know, in my experience, how, how coaches would be looking if you're chasing the title. When you're chasing the title, points are what you need, okay? You, you have points in your hand. You can't let them slip. Okay, at this point, it's a race to get a certain number of points, and uh, that's why Florentino comes on. Florentino comes on here after a series of substitutions. Like I said, we see Guga and uh, we see we see Samadish come off for for Hiwav, and we see Vitor Gomes and Kosh and. Uh, no, wait, Guga stays on. What am I talking That was uh, a misprint there. But anyway, we do see substitutions uh, for Hiwav. Vitor Gomes comes on for Samaric, and Bruno Ventura comes on for João Grasa. That's the substitution they made. We counter that, and in comes Petr Musa for Gonzalo Ramuj. I think this was a good substitution because in a one nothing game, you're looking for a target man up front that can hold the ball. One, two, Eat time to to move the point of attack and to gain territory and to keep the ball further away from your goal. Uh, Tino comes in for David Neresh. There's no question what that substitution was about. You take a guy who goes in one direction and you replace him with another who kind of plays in the other direction. Totally to to reinstill the equilibrium in midfield and to regain the the balance in midfield and in Kasper Ting Tinkstedt comes on for Rafa Silva. Rafa had a, an off night, if you will. Uh, still dangerous though. What I love about Rafa is he can be awful for 80 minutes, but if, if needed, you know, all he needs is one run, one play into space and he completely changes the match. But I think Tinkstedt actually added some, some more of what Musa added. And now we kind of went to a more 4-4-2 where we had two target guys that can both hold the ball. And, you know, Benfica start to to gain, you know, some some confidence. They regain the middle field a little bit. But there is dangerous moments here down the stretch. And we'll pick it up in the 70th minute where after Florentino comes on. After, you know, Hiwav uh, have had some dangerous opportunities. But, again, Odie on his game, as he has been. And between the pipes, he's fine. And he, he ends up getting another clean sheet here. Guga has an attempt blocked in the 73rd. In the 74th, it's Boateng's header from the right side of the six-yard box, but he can't get it down, and he puts it up over the bar. This was maybe one of their best chances. This came off uh, off a set piece, if I'm not mistaken. It was Costinho whipping that in. Um, a few minutes later, it's an offside. Patrick tries Patrick William tries a through ball, but Boateng is offside. That's when... Tinkstack comes in in the 80th. Um, 
we see a pair of substitutions from Hiwav again. Savio Alves replaces Patrick, and Hernani replaces Boateng, as well as Paul Vitor replacing Costinha. So we get an attempt a little bit against the run of play. I mean, this game was controlled for the most part, but still, uh, we gave up more opportunities, I felt, in this match than we normally do. Um, but Tengshek gets an opportunity here. On the right side of the box, saved in the bottom right corner by Jonathan. He was sent in by Ba. There's talks of Ba, you know, in, in a penalty that should have been called against him. Honestly, watching the match in the first watch, I didn't even notice it. They didn't show a replay. They, the commentators didn't mention it. Um, it shows up on social media after the fact, and that's just kind of the way it goes in the two goal. Um, but yeah, it looked like it could have been. I, I will admit that that is typically called a penalty in in Portugal. However, there was a play just right after at the other end that should have been that should have gone to us. These were not failures by the referee, in my opinion. This was the VAR that failed to call the referee to the monitor, but they failed for both teams in bo- you know equally. So it, it's more it's just an incompetency overall there. But fortunately uh, for us, it was an even incompetency. But it is what it is, and this has happened all season. Teams have had their fair share of this, so it's not like it. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, um, our rivals have never had this benefit of the doubt before. Eighty-fifth minute and uh, eighty-six. It's Adelan Santos with another. Uh, another dangerous header from the left side of the box, but again, he can't get it down. He puts it high into the left. Guga sent the cross in. This was on the set-piece situation. This is the one I was probably thinking about earlier. But Befica see it through. It's a little nerve-wracking, but not really. Again, I just trust this team to see out results now. And, uh, you know, we, we see them just play to the end. Tino doesn't pick up the doesn't pick up the booking, and Befica win one nil, and that's all they need to win uh, in this match. This was a match where it was about three points and nothing else, and they got that done. A uh, couple stats: Befica lead in possession, fifty-two to forty-eight percent. Actually, we lose the expected goals rating, which I, I saw twi- you know tweets going around from some of the other some of the other uh, podcasters that cover this team. And uh, I enjoy, you know, interacting with all of them. And uh, someone said, you know, expected goals means nothing. And at the end of the day, the only the only stat that matters is is the scoreline. And Befica ends up on top in this one. And top teams, you know, win when they don't play as well. That that is literally the formula to becoming champion is to win those games that you don't play as well. Uh, Benfica still had more shots, more chances created. They had a lower XG, but they had more shots, more chances created, more accurate passes, even on the pass success rate, uh, more fouls conceded. Uh, Benfica had th- six corners to to Chihuahua's three. Both teams were offside twice. They, the, the stats are pretty even. Um, looking at the goal point then, and let's look at the ratings here for for this one. Uh, before we move on to the women's team, uh, we have the ratings starting with Riuav. Um, their man of the match was Guga, earning a 6.1 rating. They have a team rating of 5.44. Like I said, they have a nearly one point. They actually have a little bit lower of an XG on a goal point than they do on Fatmob, but not by much. Um, Benfica, you know, overperformed their XG to a, to an extent. Benfica's team rating on goal point is 6.46 so almost an entire point 
higher than Riwav's. Uh, the goalkeeper, Jonathan, earns a 6.0. Costinha, 5.9. Pantalon, 5.8. Samarish, 5.4. Adelan, 5.3. Guga, 6.1. Patrick William, 5.8. Uh, Fabio Ronaldo, 5.2. Boateng, 4.4. And Pereira, 5.3. And João Graça, 4.6. For substitutes, Vitor Gomes, 5.2. And Ventura, 5.0. The rest of the substitutes did not play long enough to earn a rating. For Benfica, Vlaco has a 6.6 uh, rating in goal. He sees a ridiculous yellow card uh, that I don't think it really was a time-wasting. I think the referee was very quick with that yellow. Uh, ba has a 7.2 down the right. That would have been a much lower rating had that penalty been called. Antonio Silva, 5.7. Otamendi, 6.7. Grimaldo, another solid performance. Uh, despite the, the, the press also trying to destabilize him or trying to turn fans against him, it ain't going to happen. Um, this man is now, you know, going up there as one of, you know, this generation's top Benfica players. He's going to be remembered fondly, regardless uh, of what happens here at the end of the season. And he's probably going to return to La Liga at the end of the season. But right now, he's completely focused on the the job at hand in closing out this league. He puts another 7.0 uh, performance in in this one. Aushin is 6.7. Chiquinho 7.7. Man of the match, like we said. João Mario 5.9. Rafa 6.1. And Gonzalo 6.6. Heavily influenced by that goal, of course. But that's what he's paid to do. Off the bench, Musa 5.0. Florentino 5.0. Tinkstat not on long enough to earn a rating. We've gone over the stats already. Um, we could talk about the actions and the opponent's mid defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. I talked about it, what Shikinu earned. As a team, Benfica had 26 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. We're still pressing. Even when we're not, when everything's not going right, we are still making life very difficult for our opponents. We're going to have to win that stat on Friday. No question about it. Um, pass uh, vertical pass efficiency, 68% for Benfica. Uh, looking at just a few other things here. Um, Shikinu, like we said, a man of the match performance. Um, he was already the top-rated player at halftime. He carried that throughout the match. Uh, we look at uh, pass tendencies. The most common pass, uh, most common completed pass was down our left side once again. It was Grimaldo to Neres and Otamendi to Grimaldo and Grimaldo to Auschnitz. Grimaldo in this match, okay, Neres to Grimaldo and Grimaldo to Otamendi. Grimaldo is at the center of all of the completed passes. So Grimaldo to Neres completed 18 times. Otamendi to Grimaldo 17 times. Grimaldo to Auschwitz 16 times. Neres to Grimaldo 15 times. That means those two guys combined a total of 33 times in this match. And then Grimaldo and Otamendi another 13. They combined 30 times in this match. Um... Just a lot of a lot of complete passes, but clearly Benfica attacking down the left and getting a lot more done down the left. Um, that's where a lot of our danger lies. So there's, and I remember for seasons talking about that being our our weakness and how teams are going to attack our left flank. You know what? Next week or Friday night, I don't see Porto trying to attack down our left flank the way they used to. They're not trying to get into the space that used to exist there between. 
uh, Grimaldo and and uh, Vertonghen at the time. No, they're not going to try to get between Grimaldo and Otamendi. They 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 go in there. They're going to lose the ball. Uh, Otamendi's anticipation is is world class. He's just a step ahead. What he lacks in pace, he makes up for in anticipation and in his ability to read the game. Um, again, like I said, I read Shikinu's stats. Um, again, there's not much else to say. Benfica with with a fantastic pass efficiency rating, and in the at fifty eight at the fifty eighth minute, Auschwitz had only f- missed one pass. He was ninety eight percent efficient at that time, and uh, that you know was a big big difference. Benfica's ability to keep the ball right now uh, minimizes the oppor- the opponent's opportunity to score, and the, the further the opportun- the opponent is from scoring, the further you are from defeat. And then that's why you can get away with scoring one goal on a on an afternoon where things just don't go as well as you had hoped. So that is that pretty much sums up the match. Let's take a look then at the rest of the league in round twenty eight real quickly here. Okay, round twenty six. Excuse me, getting ahead of myself a little bit, but uh, it started last Friday. Istoril one nil winners over Gil Vicente. And uh, let's see here. This was uh, 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 just a attendance to write home about 1,612 at the Stadio Antonio Coimbra de Mata in Estoril. Vizela, 3-1 winners over Casa Pia. Uh, 3,000 in attendance for that one as Vizela get three more points. Uh, Big one. This was a big match, and I wanted to watch it. Unfortunately, our league's media partners don't show this match. Nowhere. This league needs an over-the-top streaming. Um, listen, there needs to be a place, and I think part of what I think this league needs to do, and I'm, I continue to go off topic and make this episode longer and longer, but what this league really needs, honestly, they need to these lesser matches that people aren't watching and that their partners don't want to put on television. Like this one, I thought was was a good match, and I wanted to see this. They think Sport TV thinks only in terms of of Portugal, and of eyes there. Everything else, they kind of just don't worry about. This match, if if it's not going to be on Gold TV, why is it not on? It, it should be on the Liga Portugal's or on Sport TV's YouTube page. They have a YouTube page. Put it on on the YouTube page. Geo-block it in Portugal if you want to force people to get subscriptions. And let the rest of us watch this because I would happily pay to watch some of these matches sometimes. And they're just unavailable. All right. And in illegal streams throughout the history of my soccer viewing career have lost me far too many computers and, uh, and tablets and phones that have been infected with viruses from watching illegal streams. So I don't go there. But Vitória Guimarães and Passos Ferreira play to a nil nil draw. This is a little bit. Um, this this was a match that I think I thought could could have gone this way. And these two teams, not to say that they're even, but uh, Pasuj is picking up points as they're fighting to stay alive. Guimarães is very good at home, 14,784, you know, in attendance. It's only 50% of their capacity, but still it is way better than, than just about anybody else. Um, 
This one finishes 0-0, a crucial point, I think, for Passos Ferreira. And two points lost for Vitória Guimarães in that battle for fifth place, which, you know, slots Oroca into that position. Uh, we'll get to them in a minute. Sporting win against an absolutely hopeless Santa Clara side. 3-0 at the Alvalade. They get... 31,603 for that one. Shavj lose 2-1 to one after um, to, to Braga. Braga take the lead from Yuri Madeiros in the 16th. Juninho, uh, he he levels for the Flavienses in the 42nd, but then Abel Ruiz uh, puts Braga ahead, puts the Bishops ahead, and they continue to put their pressure on Porto. Braga, Aink, second place. They win 2-1. to one. Maritimo in front of a full house, another 9,700 and change. Pick up a huge victory, and I had started to write Maritimo off. But you know what? When you have support, and, uh, you know, Santa Clara fans should be should take this as an example. When you have the support of a region the way Maritimo does, you can pull your team out of these holes. Maritimo win 4-2 at the Bajerush over Boavista, three crucial points, and now out of the bottom two. Uh, when you pair that with Pasos Vajeda's dropped two points in Guimarães, and then we know Benfica one nil winners at Rioav. Porto win one nil over Portimonense. Maybe I should call him Portimonense, and what was little more than a friendly. Fabio Cardoso with the goal there in the thirtieth minute, and then Monday's match, Famalicão versus Aroca. And Aroca, they they win 1-0 on the road. Credit to them. Again, my issue is not with them as a team on the football pitch. My issue with them is all the things around the club and the structure and the, the facilities, the infrastructure, that this is a team that this league may be sending to Europe. And it's, you know, 4,030 in attendance in Fumalico. So that those are your results in round 26 in uh Round 27, here we go. Santa Clara hosting Vizela. Benfica hosting Porto, as you know. And Bovista hosting Guimarães. Those are all on Friday, on Good Friday. Uh, Benfica's kickoff is 1 p.m. Eastern time here on the East Coast of the United States. 6 p.m. Portuguese time. Saturday, Roca host Maritimo. Uh, Passos Ferreira host Famalicão. Portimonense host Rioave. And Braga host Estoril. Sunday, Easter Sunday, we have a mid-afternoon match here in the United States. 6 p.m. local time in Portugal. Casa Pia welcomes Sporting to Dijamur. And then on Monday, the round closes out with Gil Vicente hosting Chaves. Here's your table going into round 27. Befica, top of the league, 71 points. Porto. 61 points, Braga 59, Sporting 54, in fifth right now, Oroca, as we said, 41 points, same number of points as Vitoria Guimarães, but they have the tiebreaker at the moment, um, in seventh, three points behind them is Casapia, and three points behind Casapia is Vizela in eighth, and then Rioav ninth with 33 points, same as 10th place, Famalicão in 11th, Chaves 32 points, 12th is Bovista with 30 uh, 13th, Gil Vicente also on 30 points, and then the and then there's a little bit more of a drop, and now perhaps these are some of the teams that that may have to worry about relegation if they don't get points in the next couple of matches. I'm talking about Portimonense in 14th on 26 points only. They're only well, they're seven points ahead of Maritimo right now, who are in the playoff spot, but still, uh, it. it 
after a couple of weeks and a couple of results, that could become very, very uncomfortable for the Algarve inside. In 15th, it's Ishturil. They've played their way out of the bottom three for now. Or I should say they've played to keep themselves out of the, the bottom three thanks to Ricardo Suarez, their new manager. They pick up a victory, and they have 25 points. They are six clear of Maritimo. Maritimo right now playing in the relegation playoff match against third place or the playoff round against the third place team in the second division. Uh, they have 19 points, two better than Pastor Ferreira, and the race is really shaping up, I think, between those two. Uh, Pastor Ferreira have 17 points. They picked up one this week. They're going to look to pick up another this coming, you know, this coming Easter weekend um, in Santa Clara with no visible signs of hope, no visible sign of belief in their play, in their body language, in the face of their manager. And they're literally only four points behind Maritimo right now. If they would just snap out of it, you know, they could they could perhaps maintain Azorian representation in this league. All right, that is Liga Portugal. I'm going to take a final break here. I know this episode has been long, but I got to talk about the ladies when we come back. We're going to talk about the Taça, the Liga, the League Cup final on Saturday. Benfica lifting the trophy for the third time in four years. This is Mr. Benfica, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of this episode 158 of Mr. Benfica. You heard there from Benfica's uh, Canadian International, the ambassador to the English language for the Benfica women's football team. That's Chloe Lacasse, of course. A few short words she gave to BTV after the match on the pitch in Avedu this past Saturday. Benfica winning 3-1 over Sporting Braga and winning their third Portuguese League Cup title third in four years. It's only been disputed four times. Mefica has been in all four finals of this competition. Remember last season, it was this Braga team that beat us in penalty kicks to take that, that title from us. The year before, they beat us in the Portuguese Cup final and denied us a treble. So um, the treble is still on, and that's actually a quadruple right now that's still on for this team. And, uh, well... As much as Sporting is our rival, and we are taking the pitch in this one on the heels of having lost to Sporting, having lost to our rival, okay, um, Braga has been more our nemesis. Braga has been able to actually take silverware from us. They're the only ones that have knocked us out of the Portuguese Cup. They're the only ones that have knocked us out of the League Cup, and I am Pretty certain that last year it was Braga that knocked us out of the Portuguese Cup as well and then went on to lose the final to Sporting. But um, again, this is this is seems to be the team that gets the better. The one team that's got an upper upper hand on Befica historically, um, even though Befica have won more matches, but Braga have won some big ones here. Um, 
And this this one, you know, threatened to be the same way. We go to the municipal stadium in Aveiro and uh, 9,115 in attendance. That is a phenomenal number for a women's football match in Aveiro. Listen, not far from there in Leiria, okay, earlier this winter, the men's Portuguese League Cup barely got more than that. And the only reason they got more than that is because there were so many comp tickets to the Men's League Cup final. Uh, the Liga de Clubes, or the Liga Portugal as it's called now, handed out so many comp uh you know, so many comp tickets, so many free tickets to their media partners, to their business partners, to their sponsors. And uh, that's what the whole League Cup exists for. Uh, so it was kind of an artificial 15,000 that was in Ladia earlier this year. Um, this is a 9,115 paid attendance. And uh, this is a fantastic job by the Benfica Nation for getting into the stadium here for this one and to support our team. You only heard Benfica fans all match long. Uh, they really, you know, and this team, these the fans picked this team up when when there was doubt. It looked like, and again, I, uh, you know, this match took place during uh, during my work day on Saturday. So I was working while I was watching it. And it was actually a busy, busy Saturday morning for me here in the United States when uh, when this was going on. I was I was in my office here working in my home office and I had one screen on this match. I had another one on Benfica's men's basketball game. And then I I tweeted that once again, BTV crashed this weekend uh, on Fubo TV and Fubo TV is a phenomenal service. I have had it for almost 10 years now. I almost since it launched and I've not had any issues with it. This is only with BTV. So I don't put any, any of this on Fubo, but again, I was unable to watch the basketball games, but luckily I pay more than I should. And I subscribe to the Portuguese basketball federations app and I'm able to watch all of the basketball games there. So I had the Portuguese basketball. I had Benfica Sporting in basketball, and I had this Braga Benfica in uh, women's soccer on on the other screen. While somewhat still attentive to my work, um, Braga uh, looking to take another trophy from Benfica. Like we said, they were in their uh, alternate gold strip, while Benfica were playing in the home kits, the red and white. For Braga, the in goal, it's Patricia Moraes. And last year, she just saved everything we put on net. And she had another phenomenal match. She was the, listen to this, they, they awarded a goalkeeper of the game award in addition to the player of the game award. But um, she earned it. I mean, she, she was fantastic for Braga in this one. And I've been critical of her in the past. Sometimes with the national team, but in this match and against Benfica, she's she's good. Although she had some crucial mistakes that helped Benfica out here. Uh, the rest of the starting eleven for Braga: Tanya Rodrigues, Anouk Decker, Leah Lewis, and Paige Almendars uh, Almendaris. Excuse me, two Americans. The captain is Dolores Silva, the the holding midfielder, uh, who is also the captain for the Portuguese national team. Spaniard Laura Casanovas partners with her in in the midfield. Ana Ruth, Beatriz Fonseca, Carolina Menz, the former Sporting player, and the Canadian Caroline Kerr are the eleven. Round out the eleven for Braga and for their manager Gonçal Nunes. Benfica go with Ruth Costa in goal in the back. Uh, the back three that we've been seeing as of late: Ana Saisa, Carol Costa, and Lucia Alves with Katrina Amado. And 
actually, I think maybe they did play with four. Now that I think of it, looking at it, it was more of a back four. Although it does often function into a back three with Katrina Amado kind of moving forward because Benfica sees so much of the ball. But uh, yeah, Katrina Amado on the right, Lucy Alves on the left, Anasaisa and Karol Costa in the center of the defense. Uh Ana Vitoria, interestingly enough, gets moved into the, into the number six role that normally is occupied by the captain, Pauleta. Of course, Pauleta had a season-ending knee surgery last week or two weeks ago, just before this last international. Was it during the international? No, it was, it was about two weeks ago. It was just before the Sporting game. That's when it happened, and she, you know, she lost the rest of her season. And, of course, I lost any hope that... That uh, national team manager Francisco Net uh, gained the courage to call her into the national team because she's a dual citizen now. She is a Portuguese citizen, and for a federation that has no problem calling the Otavius of the world, I don't know how you don't call a Paulita into the national team. She, I know she plays the same position as the captain, and she would displace the captain. But do you want to go to the World Cup and have a good World Cup? Uh, Paulita should have been in that. In that national team at this point, however, it's it's a moot point now because um, she she's going to be she's got you know several months of rehab now to to um, rebuild now her surgically repaired knee. Um, Ana Vitoria slid into her spot, and Felipe Paton did say uh, post match in her interview that that is where Ana Vitoria plays in the Brazilian national team, so she's very very comfortable in that role, and that's where we went with and then in front of her. Um, in the center mid positions, we had we you know a more attacking. Uh, it's a four three three is actually how this plays out with with Andrea Norton and Kika Nazaré in front of her, and then uh, the front three, just a powerful front three, our best three in my opinion. Nicole Raisla in the number nine position with Chloe and Jessica playing off her to each side. This is a very strong Befica team. Befica dominate from the start. I mean, there is no... Again, um, if if Befica don't come into this match on the heels of a loss against uh, Sporting, in a match they dominated, okay? And again, they dominate this one. But, you know, you lose a match that you dominate, and you now have that that doubt in your mind that it's going to happen again. And it... it, um, you know, it starts off good enough. And, I mean, Benfica start hitting the bar. Uh, Patricio Moraes starts making phenomenal saves. They had another one cleared off the line by a defender. And I just had to tweet that the ball just wouldn't go in. And as I hit send, Benfica lose possession in midfield. It is played up the pitch. And Casanovas, I believe, is the player who plays in a just brilliant ball. Between Saisa and Carol, they it was played in behind Carol, but in in front of Anasaisa with a run by Caroline Keher, who gets into the space, gets the opportunity. And, uh, well, first she hits the bar. She gets two opportunities. And the first one, she gets in and she hits the bar. But I get almost an identical opportunity just a minute later. And in the 35th, Caroline Keher puts Braga ahead 1-0. And Twitter blew up. <laughs> there, there's there's quite a, a group of, of people I kind of uh, communicate with. Or if not, if I'm not actively, you know, tweeting with them, I'm reading their tweets and their conversations with each other during the women's matches. 
And um, there's another group that someone added me to that I enjoy is like 65 Benfica people in it. <laughs> and literally my phone goes off 24 hours a day. There's always someone commenting in that group. But, you know, right away the, the negativity sets in. And this is the Benficismo in us that we, we do uh, become very, very doomsday-ish very quickly. And, and you see without... Any hesitation, people start calling for Hua Filipa, you know, tr- calling for sacking the manager, the manager who's won almost every competition she's ever entered with this team. And uh, it's, it's, and I think it's just part of a, the Portuguese viewpoint of the game and that they, you know, they're so quick to call for the sacking of managers and they believe that the, the cycle has finished. But uh, I, I don't subscribe to that. I, I respectfully disagree. I'll criticize the manager when she makes certain certain decisions. There's decisions that I don't agree with, and that's one thing. But uh, I I don't think sacking the manager who who's got a system going, who's been running this program now for two and a half years successfully, uh, I don't think that that's in any way the answer, um, or I should say a year and a half now, and uh, she's won two titles and she is you know within. Two fairly easy victories of uh, of winning a third title for this team, a third championship, I should say. Here she is competing for another League Cup, and you know it's not Felipe Paton's fault that the ball hits the bar when we walk in alone, or when when you know when Jessica walks in, beats the goalkeeper, and it and it, it hits the post, or it gets it's cleared off the line. It's also not Felipe's fault that uh, we fell asleep for a moment and allowed a striker to make a good run into space between two defenders and that a perfect ball was played into the space which which allowed for that goal to be scored. But Benfica didn't didn't panic. This team didn't panic. They keep f- pushing forward, getting more opportunities. I thought maybe they were trying to be a little too cute with it in the, in the penalty area. Braga just seemed to always have six, seven players in the penalty area. Every time Benfica would win it on the flank, they'd come in, they'd play that driven pass, you know, like the same Portuguese Rasteiro. They they play that driven pass, and then it seems like there's all eleven players in the penalty area at times. Uh, on one, it looked like. You know, it, it it was I believe it was An- Anouk Decker that reached out, or maybe it was Casanovas who was reaching for it. Kika saw that Kika gets gets a touch on the ball, and then her plant leg gets taken out, gets stepped on by the Braga defender. I don't remember exactly which Braga defender it was. Doesn't matter. The referee doesn't give the penalty at first. The referee was Felipe Cunha in this one, and fortunately. Something we don't see very often in Portuguese women's football. The VAR is called. Felipe's called to look at the monitor a few moments later. She looks at it again and she does, in fact, give the penalty. Braga doesn't agree with it. Uh, the the Braga manager after the match was critical of this. It, it was a penalty. The foot got stepped on. What, what are you going to do? This is something that is called consistently week in and week out in Portugal. Whether it's in men's football, women's football, first division, second division. It, it's just something that is called consistently. And I thought that Nicole was going to take the penalty. I, I feel like she's the best penalty taker. However... Carol Costa steps up, 
and she has scored a high-pressure penalty already this year. Uh, she scored the goal that landed Portugal in the Women's World Cup just a short while ago, last month, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in which she stepped up in like the 90th plus 6 and buried a penalty that sent Portugal to the World Cup. She steps up on this one, and she looks confident, takes a deep breath, moves, you know, approaches the ball and hits it hard, but doesn't get it in the corner enough. Patricio Moraes guesses right. Now, here's where another reason I would have gone with Nicole here. So, to be fair, here's a criticism for the manager. If the manager's even the one that, that selected, a lot of times the players decide who takes the penalty. That the managers at this level leave it up to the players. But I would not have... I personally do not like players taking penalties on their own national team goalkeeper. And you have Patrice and the commentator, uh, Alexandre Alphonse, on Canal pointed to it. She's not just her national team teammate. They were teammates at Sporting two years back because because Carol played for Sporting up until she joined Benfica, you know, our first season in the first division. Um, she She had played for Sporting for a number of years before that. And Patricia Moraes is the former goalkeeper at Sporting. And she, they know each other. And I think the advantage goes to the goalkeeper all the time in that situation. But Carol steps up. Patricia guesses right, reads it right, however you want to look at it. And it looked like it missed. We It looked like a save. The corner kick was given. And just as... I think Chloe was going to take it, or maybe it was Kika, I don't know. Just as the corner kick was about to be taken, the referee whistles, gets word in her ear from the VAR that Patricia left her line early. When you see the replay, there is absolutely no doubt about it. Both of her feet are in front of the line, and she's diving before the ball has even been struck. That's how well she knows her her national team teammate here. Um However, it's something, again, that good work from the play-by-play commentator, Alexandre Alphonse here, a long-time Antenna play-by-play guy, now working for Canal Ons, says that this is good, that the VAR is here, because if Patricio Moraes is going to be the goalkeeper for Portugal at the Ruins World Cup this summer, there is VAR, and if Portugal surrender a penalty, she cannot do this there, because it will be a retake there as well. She's not used to playing with VAR, she's probably getting away with this every time, and this time it doesn't. she doesn't get away with it, because there's the VAR to confirm it. And she's upset. The manager's upset. He called it nonsense. And it's, again, it's the rule. Like, it's the rule. It's always been the rule. It's just now we have cameras and we have the technology to catch people doing it, to prove it. And we have the ability to go back, look, check. And if it's, in fact, you know, an encroachment or for leaving your line early, it's a retake. Gutsy call here, and again, one I don't necessarily agree with. Whether it was the player's decision or it was Felipe's decision, Carol steps up and takes it again. I mean, I, I already think that there's so much in Patricia Moraes' favor in this in this showdown. Nothing against Carol. It is, it is just advantage goalkeeper here, especially when she's already saved one. And as you see, Carol decides to go to the same the same side. She does place the second one better. She puts it more in the corner. And it, it kind of goes underneath Patricia Moraes. She doesn't get down low quick enough to save it. She guesses right. And to be quite honest, she leaves her line early again. And I don't know if the VAR official would have had the courage to do it and to tell the referee this. But if she saved this one, it would have needed to be another re-kick. Whether or not they call it, it's a different story. 
Anyhow, Benfica draw level right at halftime at the 45th minute. And, you know, the crowd is back in it. Carol is psyched. She, she's, re, you know, she's... She has redeemed herself. Benfica go in nil, uh, not nil-nil, but 1-1. They go in level and full of confidence for the second half. I'm full of confidence at this point because we were pushing Braga back so far. Uh, they, I think they knew they had limited opportunities to... to to materialize a goal, and uh, they they scored on their limited opportunities, and I don't think they believe they had many left. I don't believe that Benfica thought that they had. You know, I think Benfica knew they were gonna they were gonna be controlling the match in the second half, and um, and the, it didn't take too long. In the 66th minute, the goal of the season, perhaps. Now I tweeted this out, and. I think I'm going to pen this tweet just for everyone to watch. Well, after you listen to this, go to my Twitter, at Michael Gostinho. That's M- at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. I'll have it. I'll, I'll try to remember to pen this tweet. Key, this is a play where the ball is played in, okay? It's a diagonal ball driven in. Somebody heads it across, if I remember correctly. No, what happens is, I remember now, it was it was Braga's, if I'm not mistaken, it was, it was Dolores. No, it might not have been Dolores. It was, let me see, I'm looking at here. It was Vanessa Marks who had just come on. That's who it was. So Braga subbed on Vanessa Marks, another national team player, for, for um, let's see, Jolene Almani replaced Dolores Silva and Vanessa Marks replaced Carolina Minch. So... It's her first touch, and she goes to play the ball, a ball back to her center back. She overhits it, and she plays Chloe in on a break, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Chloe gets a touch, plays it to, to Kika. Kika, instead of, yeah, she plays it into Kika. Kika, instead of trying to poke the ball on goal that probably would have been saved from a well-positioned Patricio Moraes, Kika pulls it back with her right foot. To her left foot, heel pokes, you know, heel flicks it all in one movement as she spins. Um, in the process, Patricia Moraes slides right through Kika. We could have had shouts for another penalty, to be all completely honest with you, because Kika gets completely taken out on this play if her play didn't completely, you know, work like a T and just. Uh, flick the ball right into the path of Nicole Raisla. Nicole just opens her foot and and calmly pushes the ball into the open goal. Benfica take the lead. I popped for this one. I I was shouting down here in my in my home office and I, I'm shouting goal golasu and I'm shouting esta muda joga tanto talking about Kika. Of course, this girl plays so much joga and I I could not believe what I had just seen. Uh, absolutely brilliant bit of creativity to be able to do that in such quick, um, in such a quick process, you know, without even thinking about it. This girl is world class. I mean, what a footballer we have here in our team. And um, really just, I think she's going to shine at the World Cup. She's going to be Portugal's shining star. There's no question. And uh, she just brilliantly sets up Nicole here and Befica take the lead and Befica continue to press forward 83rd minute Nicole will score again a goal that the referee originally called you know 
called back for a handball that didn't happen. Nicole takes a shot. Patricia saves it, but it jumps up, hits her in the face, and then goes in off her face. A handball was called. Good thing VAR was in in effect in this one because, to be honest with you, without it, we may have lost this one 1-0 one as well without the VAR. Um not because we don't deserve the goals, but because the referee would not have, have made the right call. And that's why VAR exists. But, uh, yeah, after reviewing the goal, the goal stands. Nicole scores. She had already been subbed off. This is what was funny. She'd been subbed off as uh, Christy Uchebe had come on to solidify the midfield a little bit. And she runs back on the pitch. She's lucky she doesn't get booked for this. When the goal is given to her, she leaves the bench, comes back onto the pitch, and celebrates with her teammates. Uh, the referee forgives it. We still see a couple more substitutions. Uh, in addition to Christy, we see Anna Gaspar, the German, who was brought in in, uh, in January. And we see Marta Sintra, the Brazilian, come on. They replace Chloe and Jessica. No, Chloe and Kika, excuse me. And then in the 90th plus four, Andrea Norton is is substituted for Andrea Fria. Wonder what happened here with Andrea Fria down the stretch. She was playing so well earlier this season. I remember I raved so much about her evolution as a player. And now uh, she's actually been demoted in the national team too. In the last call-up, she was moved to the U23 team. She's still very young, and this team is very good. And, I mean, you bring in an Andrea Norton who who is, you know, is a midfielder that could easily play in a higher league. Um, you know, she's living her dream playing for Benfica. She's a Benfica finally getting the chance. She's playing against her former team here. She leaves to an ovation. Andrea Faria comes on. And, that you know, the match the match will end. And we get, in the final moments, uh, nice bit, a nice gesture here from Filippa. Sending on Silvia Rebelo. She's actually our, our technically our captain. Uh, just has played very little this season. And um, to be honest, Francisco Neto continues to carry her in the national team more as a token for what she's done than for what she's doing now. I'm not going to judge that uh, here on this on this space. She's our she's our captain uh, along with Paleta. So she comes on in the final moments and she replaces Ana Saisa, who has largely replaced her, much younger uh, center back. And she gets a few last moments. You know, she's been the captain the past two seasons that's lifted the trophy for us. And she gets to get a run out on the pitch for the, and be on the pitch for the final whistle. Felipe Cunha, the referee, blows her whistle for full time. Benfica win 3-1, to one, like we said. They win the cup. They lift the cup. Best part, on the way home that night, I tweeted this as well, or I retweeted it. They The Benfica... The girls' bus stopped at the Casa do Benfica in Vila Franca de Chira, and they were greeted by celebrating fans by the, the Benficistas. They had the sausage at, at the Casa in Vila Franca de Chira, and they had a great celebration. There were flares. There were horns honking. There was singing, chanting. This video of Kika, always the life of the party. Man, this girl has Benfica in her veins. There is no question. Kika, her parents... Are 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 you know my nominee for parent of the decade for 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 raising this girl, raising this Benfica who is now, you know, embodying everything that we are as a fan base. She embodies it on the pitch for us, and um, you can see the fan base just continuing to support this team, and just continuing to 
to get behind this team. It's a it's a wave and it continues to grow and I like it. I'm there's more and more people talking to me about this Benfica women's team every match, uh, every year, and the success success breeds success, and I hope this continues for a long, long time. I hope that Benfica go on to, to just dominate this league for many years. It's going to, in the long run, people think that's bad for the game. That's going to be good for the game. That's going to grow the women's game in Portugal much more than if Benfica struggle, especially in these early stages as the game is really starting to get some momentum. A strong Benfica that can continue to go to the Champions League year after year get closer and closer to maybe competing for a spot in the quarterfinals soon. We're only a couple of players away from that, to be to be perfectly honest with you. I think we're literally a world-class goalkeeper away from, from competing to be in the quarterfinals. I watched the quarterfinals last week. I watched all four matches. I watched all eight matches of the quarterfinals. We're not that far behind. What we need is a goalkeeper that, you know, when things don't go right, is going to save us. We had that with, with Leticia. If we still had Leticia, I'd hate to do this, but I, you know, because she left for whatever reason, but if we still had Leticia, we might be playing in these quarterfinals. Maybe not this year because the group was so tough, but there are teams there that we match up with. And, um, you know, Ruth Kosha getting her chance here to be Benfica's goalie. I think she should be Portugal's goalie. I said that when she was the goalkeeper at, uh, at Famalicão. I said that when she was the goalkeeper at Sporting Braga. Before that, Francisco Neto just continues to see her as the number three. Of course, he he was uh, he was sitting there with Monica Jorge and with Rui Costa and with Salvador at this match. And uh, he saw the goalie he tends to, to stick with. Play a fantastic match, so it's not going to get easier for her, but... Uh, hopefully she keeps doing the right things and and her opportunity will come. But perhaps for us, uh, I think if there's one place this, this team really needs a heavy investment, it's going to be in goal. But can you convince that level of goalkeeper to come play in this league? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We don't hear really what the what kind of, of invest. We hear that there's a heavy investment. We don't know numbers, though. We don't hear how much they're offering these players. We don't know who's earning what. It's all uh, speculation. So maybe if there's more transparency in the future, we can have uh, a better idea if that's even possible. Okay, before we go, I have a couple other things to talk about because it was such a big weekend in in uh, Benfica Nation this weekend. Uh, two other cups won this weekend. Futsal, we'll start with the men. It was the final four of the Futsal Portuguese Cup. Befica win the semifinal over Ferreira de Zizar. Zizar, I think is how you say it. Uh, Sport Club Ferreira de Zizar. 3-2 goals in that one from Rocha, Siscala, and Bruno Sintra. Advancing to the final against Sporting, who, if you don't know, is the best futsal team in the world. Uh, Benfica and Sporting both in the Champions League Final Four for futsal as well. And the draw was kind. They did not draw each other, so there's a good chance you could have a Champions League Final this year between Benfica and Sporting. But in this Portuguese Cup Final, Benfica get the big result. Uh, They get the lead early thanks to Jacaré in the third minute. Sporting tie it in the 18th thanks to Pani Varela. 
And then second half, it's uh, Sporting have the better of it for a bit. Uh, if you could get their opportunities, but Sporting's goalie Gita is one of those goalkeepers that likes to play up. He likes to come up, um, and it ends up biting him here in the with six minutes to play in the second half in the in regulation as uh, Diego Nunes collects the ball. Gita's way out of goal, and he perfectly lobs it over everybody, over you know the back running Gita out of his reach and into the goal. But if he could take the lead two to one with six minutes to play, one minute later, uh, on a side out, the ball is played in from the from the touchline. I forget who drove it in, but it is Diego Nunes again getting himself open in the face of the goal and redirecting it first time into the back of the goal. But if he could take a 3-1 lead at the Pavilion in Pauvre de Verzin, uh, an arena that was filled with Benficiches, more by far more Benficiches than Spartanguiches in the house. Many of them did make the trek down uh, from from uh, Vila du Conde. It's not that long of a trip. And... Uh, this match started after the the football match against Riwab, and there are the hardcores did find their way to the futsal match, and then three one, and then the final moment uh, in the thirty eighth minute, it is Artur Swarj with with under two minutes to go, making it four to one, scoring in the empty goal. Sporting were using Merlin, one of their stars, as the flying goalkeeper. The flying goalkeeper is what teams do in futsal. Uh, they say in Portuguese, but it's the flying goalkeeper is what we say in English. It's a field player wearing a goalie shirt, basically. And what you do is you play five on four with an empty goal, something similar to what you see in ice hockey, um, you know, when, when a team is trying to come back late. So that finishes 4-1. to Befica win the cup. Congratulations. Um, also in the same day, in the same arena, uh, the women win the cup as well. They started off on Saturday just like the men did. Beat it. This time, the women beat Sporting in the semis. They win 3-1 to goals from FIFO, Raquel Santos, and Ana Catarina. In the final Sunday against Nuno Alvarez, Benfica win 4-1. Goals from Janice Silva, Leninha, Inej Fernandes, the captain, and from FIFA again. Mefica win once again yet another Portuguese Cup in women's futsal. This Portuguese women, uh, this Benfica women's futsal team is is very very good. If you haven't seen them yet, you do want to catch them the next time they are on BTV. Uh, at the same time on Saturday as the women's. Uh, League Cup final, as I had said, men's basketball was taking on Sporting. Benfica men's basketball win 99-86 at the Pavilion de Luz over Sporting, over the Lions. Tony Douglas leads the Eagles with 29 points. He goes 6-for-9 from three-point land, has seven assists and seven rebounds in the effort. Helped also by Terrell Carter's 20 points and the point guard Aaron Broussard helped with 15, and he had four assists while logging an unbelievable 36 minutes and 34 seconds of playing time in this one. Next up for the Hoopsters for Benfica, they travel to the the Dragão Arena on Saturday. So it's another Clásico this weekend. There's the Clásico Friday on the football pitch, and it's on the basketball court Saturday. It's a 4 o'clock local time tip-off in Porto, which is an 11 a.m. tip-off here in the in the east coast of the United States, 8 a.m. Uh, Pacific. And 
Benfica take on Porto in a battle for first place. Right now, Porto and Benfica both are 23-5. and five. they got 23 victories and 5 defeats, both of them. Tied for first place right now. Winner will take control of first place as the playoffs continue to loom closer and closer. Um, you know, first place is home court in the playoffs, so that will... Uh, be important. Uh, hope to have more updates on more Modalidad next week. But that is all I can do this week. Thank you for hanging with me through this very long episode. There was a lot to, to, to cover. Usually I like to do a different episode for the men and for the women. But this is a short week with Benfica playing on Sunday and then another game on Friday. The time just isn't there. The women's football is on an international break now. I had, I had incorrectly said last week that uh, Portugal wasn't playing. They are in fact playing. They're playing against Japan and Wales in this international window, uh, both friendlies at home. So it'll be interesting to see how Portugal do against the Wales. But uh, so there'll be we won't be talking about the women's team again until uh, they take to the pitch against the same Braga on the 16th of April in Braga for the league. So uh, when when the day comes, we will uh, we'll cover that. Um, so there'll be some more space for the Modalidades in the next episode. But of course. Uh, the next episode, I may go on for three hours about the Porto match. Who knows? But that's it. Thank you again for sticking with me this whole way. This is the Mr. Mike Agustino. I'm signing off. I'll be back after the Porto match this weekend at some point. Um, Monday, the latest. I mean, I really want to get it recorded this weekend. I think I have the free time this weekend to do it. I want to do it while the match is fresh. And, uh, and the emotion is, you know, still fresh. Um, I'm confident in this match. And I'm going to send you away with a little musical number that I discovered uh, to, uh, today and looking for something to play at the end. And I think this is going to be the anthem of the show until the 38 is clinched. So have a good one, everybody. Have a great week. Enjoy the Classico Friday. Cajega Benfica. Forza Benfica. We are Benfica. Hashtag, if you love football, you love Benfica. And take it away. And dam u 32. Good night, everybody. Depois do 37, já está tudo a pedir uma nova conquista. Já está tudo a pedir Uma nova conquista Quero tudo cantar Vamos todos mostrar A alma de ser benfiquista 
Com menos sofrimento Repetir o momento Irmos até ao fim Voltarmos ao Marquês Festejar outra vez Quero ouvir cantar assim Agora levanta o braço Bate palmas a compasso Entra nesta brincadeira Canta como eu faço Vamos tendermos de aço E ganhar de qualquer maneira Vem, vem. 